my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, which is about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Think about what I just said. You being empowered with knowledge so that you can fatten your wallet, make better decisions financially, help family member, help a friend. And so you rely on me to give good guidance, good advice. When I don't do that, that's terrible. And I need to know from you when you feel I'm not delivering on the mission of this show. And that's why, gosh, must be 15 years ago, we set up Clark Stinks on Clark.com so that you could let me know areas where maybe I don't have the whole story or maybe the way I see it is not how you see it. And so you post on Clark Stinks and others get to read it. They can then comment on it. They can start their own comment line if there's something else that you've reminded them of that they think I should do better. And then once a week, producer Krista goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and shares highlights with you here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. Starting with this one, Big Banks Bunk. Clark, I love listening to you, but you stink to high heaven when you fail to mention banks' trust and investment division as an investment investment option. I'm a recently retired mega bank employee, and I agree it's best to stay clear of their brokerage division since it's focused on product sales and commissions. However, you neglect to mention their trust and investment division as an alternative. It's separately chartered and required by regulation to act as a fiduciary for their clients. Clients can customize an investment program based on personal goals, objectives, and risk tolerance. Capital gains can also be managed to individual circumstances, unlike mutual funds, where all investors in that fund are treated the same way. The fees are reasonable. Remember, Clark, the least expensive approach may not be suitable for everyone. It's time to put your bias aside and let callers know that not all areas of the banking industry should crash and burn. Tom D. Tom D., thank you for that. And what Tom's referring to is generally for people who have quite a bit of money, very wealthy retirees, someone who sold a business for a lot of money, and the things that the bank trust departments do is way beyond what you would have from a normal bank investment operation. And it is something that a lot of people of great means turn to as a way to manage the next chapter of their lives. And they are very good uh, usually at tax planning, tax strategies, and also one thing that comes up is somebody typically when they have a lot of money is older is dealing with succession in the family how money or assets will be divvied up and handled with the next generation so i appreciate that post okay and the last clark stinks we did have one about credit scores being used for life insurance and this is a different one i love you clark but we have to talk about something stinky on a recent podcast you mentioned how it was clark rageous that life insurance companies use credit scores as part of how they determine your rate. I think you need to look deeper into the issue. A semi-recent article from the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science has shown statistically that low credit scores predict cardiovascular disease risk. 
And this is just one paper looking at one risk factor. I'm sure there are more out there. Think of this logically with a simple example. Someone who has a low credit score is less likely to have the funds to go to a routine doctor appointment with preventative screening, whereas someone who is not cash-strapped is more likely to go to the doctor and catch something early. Saying life insurance companies should not use credit scores in their calculations is like saying they should not factor in that someone has diabetes. Will the person who has diabetes definitely have a shorter life? No, but statistically their life expectancy is lower. They are purely using a statistically significant piece of data, Dr. Steve. Dr. Steve, appreciate that, and I respectfully disagree with you on this because if you take somebody who has an existing medical condition and you use that in calculating insurance, that is a more measurable risk, and it's an if-then that is easy to draw the conclusion of. Because somebody made a payment late or went through a divorce and their credit ended up trashed or they lost their job and their credit ended up messed up or they had an episode of illness and they ended up with no pays on their credit, that using that as a determinant in what insurance they'll qualify for for life insurance seems to be two steps removed and using things like a condition somebody already has to me is logical and makes sense. Hi, Clark. I've heard it too many times now. You've stated that an umbrella policy only costs a couple hundred dollars. Maybe it's because I have two teenage drivers. Nothing particularly stands out as a risk to my home, and I've never made a claim. For a $1 million in coverage policy, costs me over $800 a year. My insurance company is one of your favorites, but it isn't cheap. If you have any other ideas or factors that may be the reason for my premium, please let me know. Thanks, Jack. Jack, I'm, I don't have an answer to that because I do have a teenage driver and mine went up in cost, but not anywhere up to the number you're talking about. I have one that uh, I have several million dollars of umbrella policy. I'm trying to remember. I just, I just saw the premium. I think I'm paying 300 and something dollars per million dollars in coverage. So yours sounds high to me, and I don't have an explanation. Dear Clark, I think your comment that we should reduce access to funding for college for students stinks. I greatly prefer that individuals make this decision rather than our government, and I think you as a libertarian would agree. The problem with college funding is bad parenting, not the government. If there are no deep pockets in the family, then a parent needs to pull up their drawers and have an adult talk with their kid and refuse to facilitate or assist them in getting into debt trouble by borrowing money or co-signing for a loan to attend a college you and your student cannot afford. I told my kids they could attend any college they wish, but I had money limits limits written in stone. It would cover almost any and all of an in-state policy, public university, or a one-third of an out-of-state public university or private college, but the amounts were not negotiable and they would not be increased, and I was not signing or co-signing any loan agreements. They wisely chose the in-state public university. I don't know where we disagree, because that sounds like a very smart formula that you used in your household. What I've said is that the ability to borrow money in unlimited sums for students is what I believe is leading to a lack of discipline at colleges and universities 
in controlling spending. And specifically, I'm not referring to state schools. I'm referring to the private colleges and universities that charge the very high tuition rates. Clark, I follow a lot of your advice on investing, saving, and several other things. I recently found your podcast on Spotify and listen almost every day. However, heard you tell a gentleman to forego his 12-year-old credit card because of a $30 annual fee. While I agree you should only keep an annual fee credit card if you actually benefit more than the fee, there is an alternative that keeps that long credit history alive. Simply contact the issuer and tell them to transfer the account to one of their non-fee cards. You keep the same account slash credit card number, but get a new, a new card and drop the fee. This keeps the 12 years credit history alive and helps maintain that ever important super high credit score. Hopefully you will consider my point. I'd love to know your opinion. Thanks, Joey. Joey, that's a great idea. The situation this works the best and most common is a lot of people will take out a high fee airline credit card. It has a very high annual fee, find they're really not benefiting from it. And so all the issuers, I'm trying to think if there's any exceptions to this. I should say most all the airline reward cards offer also an airline reward card that's less rewarding without an annual fee and converting to uh, one that's a free option is a better idea, obviously, than closing an account with lots of years of history. What's wrong with free data? Clark, I don't understand your disapproval, this is one I didn't get to read a while ago, by the way, of AT&T giving its wireless customers free data to stream its TV service, DirecTV Now. I heard you talking about this when you were discussing net neutrality rules. I completely agree that internet providers should not slow down or block a user's access to sites that the internet provider might not like or want to promote. But how is offering free data infringing on anyone? AT&T is not prohibiting its users from accessing and competing streaming service. They are simply offering a perk to their customers who choose to use their service. Let me tell you why I'm so opposed to zero rating. That's what that's called. AT&T, by owning so much content and also by owning internet connection to people's homes and having the nation's second largest wireless carrier is in a position to leverage that to hurt other sellers of content. So if they say, oh, well, since you're on AT&T, we're going to make all our own programming not count against a data cap, but if you want to use a competing service like, let's say, Dish Network, or you want to use YouTube, or you want to use Netflix, or whatever, well, we're going to clobber you with data charges. That's what I think is wrong because AT&T, especially now with having bought Time Warner, has way too much market power and too much control. And that's why zero rating is a cancer on the free market. So we recently did a Facebook post um, asking for any Clark Stinks that the audience had. And um, I neglected to read any of them, but I did choose one just to quickly go through with you. Um, Elizabeth said, he seems to contract subcontract articles out and not do them, them himself. Why is that? And then Lisa responded, yeah, I wish Clark would show up occasionally on the Facebook page, even just to comment. I know he's a busy man, but it's always his minions. Minions? <laughs> minions? Hey, we are a team that works like a well-oiled machine. 
we we have the greatest group group of people that you could ever work with and we're all interested in the same purpose the same goal to provide you information that can help give you more control over your life and your wallet help you save money and we all follow that same mission so I can only be pulled so many different ways. I'm on TV seven days a week. I do the radio show. We have the podcast. I'm only one person. And you give input on pretty much everything that goes on the website. I do. We, we have meetings constantly. And so we are all operating as one team. So I one thing I've tried to do in my life is have more balance and I've learned to say no in ways I wouldn't in the past. So please help me have work-life balance. Linda is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Linda. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Linda. How can I serve you today? I have invented a product that I don't want to sell on my own. If I can get a major company to license it, do I still need to set myself up like a small business as far as a business plan, website, and uh, bank account information, credit, et cetera? No, no, you don't have to do any of that. If So you have actually um, done a prototype, you've done the invention, or you have right. sketches, so you've got the whole yes, thing done. I have, I have the whole thing done, ready to, for a manufacturer to pick it up and mass produce it. All right, so here's the thing. You have got to protect that idea mm-hmm. before you talk to any business at all about it. You've got to uh, protect your idea, what you have come up with, because if mm-hmm. you don't get that patented, anybody can come along and just steal the concept from you mm-hmm. and make it and you get nothing. So a provisional patent wouldn't be... Provisional sufficient? patent would be great. I have that. Oh, you've good job. Yes, I have a provisional patent. All right. So if you have a provisional patent and you want to get this product into the marketplace, are there natural companies, are there companies out there that you're like, this is the kind of thing that would be a part of their product line normally? Yes, I found a company out in Fort Wayne, Indiana. They're making basically the same thing that I have invented, uh, probably um, probably minus a notch up. But I was told I need a business plan, and I can't seem to fit that in the equation. I don't see why. As, I don't know why you would need a business plan if you want them to pay you royalties on right. your on your invention, and mm-hmm. that's the involvement you want to have. You don't want to be in manufacturing. You don't want to be in marketing. You don't want to be in sales. Mm-hmm. You just want somebody else to bring to the marketplace what you have, right? Right. So normally what you would do, since you already have the provisional patent, Mm -hmm. is you would contact the company itself and ask uh, who you would talk to about a product you've invented that you would like for for it to be part of their product line. And they may direct you to a third-party broker who brings ideas to the company, or they may have somebody in-house that would want to talk to you and want to see your prototype. Okay, so if they want to But you're going to do much better if you can come up with more than one company 
that is a potential target for your invention. Okay, so if they want to see it, would they be required to sign an NDA? That's what you want them to do, absolutely. And remember, you have the provisional patent, which what that does is that buys you some time that if you need to go further and get a a final patent, you've already shown your track record that you Uh have invented it, that you... Uh, that it basically puts you where you're first in line with that idea. And there will be a point at which if you do have expressed interest from a company, that's the point at which you need the proper legal representation, which has got to be a lawyer that this is what he or she does as an IP, as an intellectual property lawyer. Best of luck to you. I'm very intrigued. Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make, keeping more of what you make. It's a challenge when you have money left over from your check, because there are lots of people out there who want to separate you from your money. It's why there's been an ongoing fight now for four years about a requirement that is now put into the deep freeze that somebody giving you financial advice has to do what's best for you instead of what's best for them. In fact, one of the big stock brokerages is now going back on its word and is going to allow its commission salespeople, their stock brokers, to put the firm and their own wallets ahead of you who they're supposedly there giving advice to. So... In this chaos that has resulted with you not knowing who you can trust, there's a movement of people to come up with a pledge, an oath, what's known as the fiduciary oath, that now is already appearing a couple of places. NAPFA, which you've heard me talk about over the years, the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, at NAPFA.org, they are now requiring their members to take a fiduciary oath. And now a number of firms that are independent are now entering into a fiduciary oath with you. And this is not just window dressing. This is the real thing. Because in particular, when you go to any of the stock brokerages, or when you go to an insurance company and you're getting quote-unquote financial advice from them, I don't care how nice they are, how many meals they buy you, anything like that, know that they are not there putting you first unless they agree to legally bind themselves to you as a fiduciary. A fiduciary means that they do always what is in your best interest. Uh, It has been a problem as far back as I can remember that people who give you advice may be giving you what sounds good and seems good, but is really good for them and only okay for you because they're being motivated by either how they're being pushed to handle your money in the firm they work for, or they are incentivized 
for free trips or putting money in their pockets or whatever, and what you're put in is not in your best interest. So I love this. I love the idea of people obligating themselves through a fiduciary oath. And when you are looking at somebody who's pitching you on them handling your money, ask if they will sign the fiduciary oath. If you don't just hear a yes and you hear a bunch of double talk, you know everything you need to know who that person is really there for and it ain't you. Christina's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Christina. Hi, Clark. I love your show. Thank you so much for taking my call. Absolutely, Christina. What's going on? So I was gone from my home a couple days ago, and when I came home, I noticed my mailbox was gone. <laughs> so uh, Gone, gone? Yeah, it was just knocked right out of place, and it was gone. <laughs> it was like, not, there was just the stump, and that was it. So, uh, wow. yeah, so my husband and I did some investigation, and uh, he found it 60 feet away from my driveway. Wow. So um, he, he brought it in. We didn't really think anything about it because we have a driveway that's 450 feet in, so you would never see anybody, you know, <laughs> if, you know, they were out there. But 450 so, feet? That's, yeah. That's Ooh. like, what is that? Is that almost a tenth of a mile? It's a long ways to walk to get your mail every day. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's very uh, different for sure. <laughs> yeah, so um, what happened was, so Saturday my husband was working on the mailbox. It was a $100 mailbox, one of those big ones with a key. And uh, a police officer pulls into our driveway and tells us that um, the person who hit the mailbox, he apparently had a medical condition. So like 150 feet uh, before our mailbox, he started veering into the right off the road, and then he hit our mailbox, and then he went another 150 feet, and then he was able, he woke up when he hit the mailbox, and he was able to get back on the road 150 feet later. But... So this mailbox, he hit it, and it must have just threw it up, and then he just, you know, it went off into the tree line by the road. So when the police officer came to our house, I think that man went to the emergency the next day, and he just wanted to make sure, you know, that we knew that he hit a mailbox because he says, I think I hit one. So he went to, you know, so he had the police officer come out here. But my question is, when that police officer came out here, he said the guy wanted, he, you know, he would pay for it, you know, uh, because, you know, he did that. And uh, my husband was still working on the mailbox. We didn't really know the condition of it. And uh, he goes, so do you want to file a complaint or have him pay for it? And I said, well, yeah, I, I guess so. So I wasn't thinking, but I said, sure, we figured 150 He just took our name and address and phone number, and the police officer on a Saturday said, just give me a call on Monday, and I'll give you the complaint number. Well, when he left out of here, I said to my husband, can you fix the mailbox? And he was putting the little uh, top part lid on it. And he, he said, yeah, I could put two bolts into that and we can just reuse it. So I go, well, and I think we don't want to have a complaint out there. We just want, we'll just use our mailbox and do everything. We don't need that guy or anything. But my question to you is, well, 
that man wanted to pay for our insurance or pay for our mailbox, but the police officer wanted us to sign a complaint form. Yeah, don't do it. I agree. Yeah, there's no... There, I mean, you, here you have somebody who who blacked out behind the wheel of a car, and thank goodness nobody was hurt yeah. by that. Mm-hmm. Your yep. mailbox was uh, a lot more... A lot tougher than mine was when it yeah. got hit by a car, and <laughs> yeah. and that your husband's handy and put it yes. back in place. I yeah. think you just let bygones be bygones and just be happy yeah. the guy's recovering. Mm-hmm. And don't uh, there's no there's no upside to causing him a hassle. No, by having a complaint right. against him with the police department yeah and you know where my mind went i go well does he have to he had the police officer come out here for him to do a police report for his insurance you know for his vehicle you know so then i was thinking well if he's going to do that that means and when the police officer said he would offer to pay for our mailbox i go that's going to come from his home insurance policy well that's actually gonna- he'd have a deductible probably oh, mm-hmm. so that- i I think yeah. I think you're doing the right thing. Okay, just, thank you. I just let it go. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I never knew who hit our mailbox, but let me tell you, it was not recoverable. So good for you. And ours was a locking mailbox that got beaten up to smithereens. And Jill is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jill. Hello. How are you, Jill? I'm doing very well today, Clark. How are you? Great, thank you. You want to talk about getting free television out of the thin air. (laughs) Did did it sound like it was out of thin air? It Um, does. (laughs) I was afraid it might. Yes, um, I've been concerned for a while about the high cost of our television. And in fact, recently I had a phone call. It was actually from the company that we currently use. And I normally don't listen to these things, but because it was our company, I wanted to listen. And, of course, they were offering me significantly lower monthly price than what I was currently paying. So I listened, and then when the person was done, I said, you know, that's just wonderful because I said, we've been a customer for quite a while, and it's nice to see you finally doing something for existing customers, not just new customers. And I knew what would happen. He started to stutter and said, well, just a minute, and then came back on the line and said he was sorry. The rate was only for new customers. But then recently I came across this antenna. It was advertised in a list of several things to information for seniors to save money that they might not know about. And my husband and I are senior citizens now, so I looked at the list, and some things I knew about, some things I knew I wasn't interested in, but... Um, I looked at this one, and, and it's an antenna that you purchase. And, uh, and let me stop you is, right there, because you yes. are not the first person I've heard about this pitch for the antenna, and there's uh-huh. nothing special about it. <laughs> okay. It's no different than if you walked into Walmart and looked at all the antennas they have available, or you went to Amazon and you looked at the antennas, or you looked at one in... Sam's or Costco, that you have the ability of with a over-the-air antenna, depending on how close you are to uh, broadcast towers, you can get a lot of television for free. Mm-hmm. We get about 40 channels locally that we get for free 
with just a simple antenna. Okay. And these things cost, um, were you getting the pitch that this one was half price and right now it's only $40 or something? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that okay. was it. Yeah. Okay. So you can buy an antenna for, depending on how close you are to towers, for like 10 bucks to what can be well over $100, depending on how strong an antenna you need, whether it can be one just sitting by your TV, whether it's one that needs to be in the attic of your home, needs to be on the roof of your home like in the old days. And I think you'll be really surprised how many channels are available that you never knew broadcasted where you live. How far are how you from? I... How far are you from uh, a city? Um, I I live in a city. Which one are you in? I'm in Beaver Creek, Ohio. Okay. Which is right outside of Dayton. Right, right. right. Yeah. So you um, you would pick up a lot of channels in Dayton with a pretty simple antenna. You could go over to Walmart and buy, or Target, or wherever. Or if you wanted to also pick up locals from Cincinnati, you would mm-hmm. need a, a bigger, fancier one to travel the distance to Cincinnati and pick up signals there. Mm-hmm. And I would start with a really simple one, see how good a signal you're getting. It hooks up to your TV in just an instant. And you'll find that depending on the local channel you pick up, you'll have a total of three channels of programming they're providing you, up to five. Okay. Where on satellite or cable, you're only seeing one channel from that local station. Oh, okay. So just buy a a cheap one, plug it into your TV, change the input on your TV usually to the one that's simply enough called TV. Okay. And let it it auto-scan and see how many channels you get. All right, so I can do that before I would actually discontinue my current Yes, absolutely. You service. do that first to make sure you're going to get enough channels that you're happy with and good enough reception that you're happy with, and then you figure out if you're going steps further into it or you're saying, well, that was a nice idea, but not for me. Because the cool thing is if you do go that route, you have no monthly TV bill at all anymore. Carol is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Carol. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Carol. How can I serve you? Well, recently I was having lunch with a group of friends, and one of them made a comment about if you have certain collections on your credit report that have been charged off by the original person uh, and sold to a collection agency that if you don't have a direct contract with that collection agency, that that debt becomes null and void. I just, I don't know whether it's something to believe or not. It is uh, not something to believe. Okay. (laughs) So what happens if you have a debt, you've been unable to pay it, and it's sold to a collection agency, the collection agency not only has a right to collect it, You don't have to pay it to them, but depending on each state's statute of limitations and the type of debt, that collector can even potentially sue you against the debt if they wish. 
Okay. So their their rights to collect are just as valid potentially as the original creditor the money's owed to. All right. Well, I was I was told and, and again this is the reason for my my call to you that because these were medical bills, hospital and doctors and things that were in the gap between COBRA coverage and Medicare kicking in, um, that, you know, they, they weren't legitimate debts. And, and I'm just not comfortable with that. And, and you should not be because what you were told is not true. Okay. Well, we're, we're looking at applying for a mortgage and I'm trying to figure out a way to get those off of my credit i don't all have right well let me give you let me fully. give you good news how about some good news to go with this bad i'll piece? take it all right so medical debts are in a category of their own and if a debt for a medical bill is handled then it will no longer reflect negatively on your credit under the new scoring models so if you had, let's say you had an overdue credit card and it went to collections, even if you pay it off, it still harms your credit. A medical bill, on the other hand, once it's uh, taken care of, will not harm your ability to get that mortgage. Okay. Well, there's no, no overdue credit cards. It's just strictly medical. So stuff. with the medical, if you settle up with people... And you take care of the bills. First, got to make sure the bills are legit. But if you settle those things, you're going to be a-okay. You're going to be able to proceed with the mortgage. Everything will be fine. Well, but it doesn't mean breath of fresh air. <laughs> but it does not mean you can ignore them, not pay them. A medical debt unpaid will harm you just like any other debt. A medical bill that has been paid in most circumstances, will no longer be of harm to your credit. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast of our show, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Whatever your favorite podcast app is, we're pretty much there. And whether you love what you hear from me or hate it, take time to write a review. It's how we all learn from each other is from those reviews.